Okay, uh, welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study, the Acts of the Apostles, Part 18. Uh, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, we just give you praise, honor, and glory. We thank you for this opportunity to share the Word of God. Lord, uh, guide us through this passage. We're in Acts chapter 20 and 21. Lord, show us what this means for us um, corporately as the church and individually. Lord, uh, what's the application out of all of this? So, Lord, I thank you for those that are here or on their way. Those that are hearing by podcast, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to uh, listen by podcast. And we just thank you for it, and we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Okay, Acts uh, part 18, we are right in here. Paul's just ending his third missionary journey. He's going to finish it tonight. He'll be in Jerusalem tonight. Uh, so that's where we're going to be right here. Uh, time frame. He's on his way home to uh, well, not home, but he's, he's going back to Jerusalem. So he's right up in here in Ephesus. And he's going to be on his way back. And that's the journey. That's just what we're going to be talking about tonight. So I have a correction. Uh, Drusy asked a question last week in Acts 19.19, and it was about when they were in Ephesus uh, the first time, and they were burning books, and they were bringing books, and it said the amount of the books was 50,000 pieces of, uh, or 5,000 pieces of uh, silver. And uh, she asked the question, did they use that money for uh, 50,000 pieces of silver? And she asked the question, did they use that money for ministry? And I said, I didn't know, uh, I, I assume, yeah, yeah, I didn't really look at the passage. I just kind of answered off the top of my head. And then as I was going home, I started thinking about it. And I realized, no, what that passage is just saying is if you counted up the value of those books, it would be 50,000 pieces of silver. Not that there was 50,000 pieces of silver made because of, they were turning these books in. So just a correction on that if you're following on the podcast and stuff like that. That money was just a, a, a dollar amount. There was no real monetary value exchanged on that. So I just wanted to correct that. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. It says, Sin from Maletus, he set to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from the declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's on his way back. He doesn't want to stop at Ephesus because he knows he, if he does, he's, it's going to delay his journey back. And one of the things that he wants to get back to Jerusalem for is he's carrying the offering that he was taking uh, the different places from the church in Jerusalem. So he wanted to get that back, but he stops right here 
outside of Ephesus and he calls for the leaders of the church in Ephesus to come to him because he knows if he goes to Ephesus where he spent three years ministry it's going to take him a long time to leave and whatever so he's, he's, he wants to get back to Jerusalem uh, and so you, the, the question I put there for you on your outline how did Paul serve the Lord uh, in humility he says in all humility so you know how do we serve God in all humility it's not about us it's about God we are just uh, humble servants we are in a sense, I like to say, servants of the servants. And then, uh, just point out a little point here, verse 21. He says, He solemnly is testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, repentance, again, turns you towards faith. So, in the process of preaching the gospel, it's very important to preach repentance, because repentance is that you are a sinner. And I had an, an interview this week uh, as part of the the Los Angeles Association. I'm part of the, the Credentials Committee uh, for churches that want to join Southern Baptists, and we had a pastor there uh, whose church wanted to join, and somebody else asked him the question, they asked him, can you tell us in one minute the gospel? And he went through it, and he the first thing he said was, uh, you have to tell them about Jesus, and then he went on and on and on. And the point here is that if you don't tell them about repentance first, if you don't show them that we're sinners first, it doesn't make Jesus doesn't make any sense. Because Jesus is the one that forgives us of our sins. So if you introduce someone to Christ, tell them all about Jesus, realize that the unbeliever is going to be, okay, but why do I need this Jesus guy? Well, if you know that you're a sinner and you have to repent, and now that, that turns you towards faith in God, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son to pay the Christ on the cross for us, that leads him to that. So we had a pastor who didn't even go to repentance. And I would say, when we ask this question, 80% of the time they never go to repentance. And so we make sure to apply a correction. Humbly <laughs> apply a correction on that. So repentance turns a person towards faith because it's repentance. I'm a sinner. I've fallen. I'm separated from God. The only thing that's going to help me return is Christ. So that is the point there. So, Verse 22 to 27. It says, And now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Think about that for a second. He's going back to Jerusalem, and he says he doesn't know what's going to happen to them there. On your outline, I, I wrote down a turning point. So think about this particular passage is now a turning point in Paul's ministry. 22. And now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. And I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course 
and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see me, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from my declaring to you the whole purpose of God. It's a turning point here. And he says he's getting warnings via the Holy Spirit wherever he goes. Now, what this means is, be the Holy Spirit, and we're going to get some more reference to this, is that people are telling him. You know, people are understanding what's going to happen when he goes back. And so, you know, if you are a believer, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so now, you know, he's, he's basically saying, the people are testifying, believers are telling me, when I go back, bondage awaits me. You know, he realizes that, that it's not going to be good when he goes back to Jerusalem, but he has to do it anyway. So it's a turning point in his ministry because he's telling him, he says, you know, you're going to see my face no more. So it's a huge turning point in his ministry. But if you read this right through it, you don't, you don't get the weight of that. So think about this journey now that, you know, he's on this boat, going to be coming back, you know, sailing back, realizing... You know, wondering, okay, what's what is it really going to be like? What's really going to happen to me when I when I come back to um, Jerusalem? How bad is it going to be? But again, you know, he is carrying uh, uh, the offerings to the church in Jerusalem, so he has to go back there. He wants to go back there. He says, you know, he's not shrinking away from it. He's not. He's not going to try and do it some other way. You know, uh, this is, he's, he's, he understands that people love him. He understands that people care about him. And the people are saying, this is what's, what's awaiting you. But that doesn't mean he's going to stop doing what he's doing. Okay. So again, the point for the church is, people might tell us, well, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. But that doesn't mean we stop doing what we're called to do. Preach the gospel. Take care of people. You know, we continue to do that. Uh, verse 24, it says, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. This is the ministry he received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So the gospel, in other words, we're saved by grace. You, you know, when we admit that we're sinners, repent of that sin, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are saved by grace, God's favor. We don't earn it. Okay, so he's saying here, this gospel of grace. That's what he means there. Um, and then verse 25, he says, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. So here he uses two references. One, the gospel of grace of God, and here he's talking about preaching the kingdom. When we're saved, we enter the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, as it's, it's referred to. Uh, in other words, we are heaven bound. That's that's our final resting place. That's where we're going. That's 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 eternity. So uh, uh, the kingdom of God. Any thoughts or questions, comments on any of that? So far, we're good. Okay, verse twenty-eight to thirty-one. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, 
among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now remember, he's called the leaders of the church of Ephesus to him. This is who he's talking to. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. He was three years in Ephesus. Here, So he gives a warning to the church for your outline there. He's warning the church. He says, be on guard. Something is going to happen. And then he says, you know, uh, from among you. And then he also says, be on alert. For what? For false teachers. Those that are going to try and sway you with a different gospel. Those that are going to try and, and pull you away from, from uh, uh, the teaching that Paul did. And as any good shepherd, as any good teacher, he's concerned about those that he has taught. So he's warning them. He's saying, you know, remember, this is what I taught you. This is what the gospel is. This is what church is is, is about. People are going to come, and they're not only going to be from outside, they're going to be from inside. And this is the lesson the church sometimes doesn't realize, that, that, you know, the venom of Satan sometimes comes from inside the church. And it destroys and it pulls people away. Uh, a different gospel um, for whatever reasons. Um, and so, you know, we're warned about this. And Paul is warning them. And again, you know, this is Paul's parting, parting uh, uh, shot to them. You know, to these people that he's taught in, in Ephesus who are going to be spreading the word up in there. And he says, be careful. Be on, be on alert. They're going to be there. But sometimes what happens over the course of history, the church just kind of falls asleep and lets this stuff, you know, develop. That's why when you're, when you're a student of church history, then you see all this stuff, how it's come into the church. Now the church has had to counter it and sometimes not counter it very well. And then it masquerades as, as Christianity. And it really isn't Christianity. So he gives this warning to the church. Thoughts, questions, comments? We're good? Okay, verse 32 to 38. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I had coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Notice the context of that particular saying. We hear that all the time. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But notice the context of how it's being used here. Paul giving his final words to to uh, to the church in Ephesus. There are people that he knows and loves and cares about. 
Verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would see his face no more, and they were accompanying him to the ship. Um, there's an urgency in Paul's words here. And the people receive it. You know, and there's, you know, they're praying and there's tears and it's extremely emotional. This is a very emotional uh, passage here. That they realize that this Paul who taught them, this Paul who, who was probably bigger than life for them, is now they're probably not going to see him again. You know, they don't know if they're ever going to hear from him again. They don't know what's going to happen to him because they know that uh, uh, he's going to go back to Jerusalem and, they're, and, they're, and they're, the, the, the political climate in Jerusalem is not good for Christians. And especially Paul because he's the leader of the church. He's the, he's the, he's the architect in a sense of the, of the early church. And so he says, you know, there's an urgency in his words, you know, trust God and be obedient. And that the grace of God will build us up. You know, the grace of God will be there for us. Uh, so no matter what we're going through in the struggle to build the church, you know, take it in terms of today. You know, churches are, are should we be open? Should we be closed? Should we be outside? Uh, all these things. You know, this is where we have to trust God. And, and, you know, God will build us up. God will take care of us. God will do what he needs, what he said he will do. We just have to do our part. So I trust and be obedient uh, to God. So, again, this when you're reading it, if you just kind of glance through it, I think sometimes you don't get the emotion here. This is very emotional. And it's very... Um, You know, when Paul's saying, I got to tell you this because this might be my last time to tell you this. Watch out, be careful, because from within you, uh, and he says wolves are going to come. You know, false teaching, they're going to try and lead you astray, they're going to they're try and break up the church. He says, you guys have to be strong, you have to maintain the course, you, you have to follow God, you know. Uh, uh, because the the existence of the church depends on it. So, I mean, think about we're heirs to this, to what he did, you know, what, what he established and what those churches up there, what they established, we just build on their, on their shoulders on that work. If you didn't have those Pauls that were willing to die or those Pauls that, that were willing to be martyred or those Pauls that were willing to face conflict and go through all they, they had to up in there, we wouldn't have the church today. You know, that's what we, we, we owe them. Uh, such a debt of gratitude that they uh, love God enough to follow and were willing to, to suffer. It seems like nowadays nobody wants to suffer, you know. <laughs> What's the song? Everybody wants to live, nobody wants to cry, we all want to go to heaven but nobody wants to die you know no sacrifice nobody wants to you know and so it's we, we want everything easy and to feel good but it's not always going to be easy it's not always going to feel good you know so thoughts questions on that comments
Good. Okay. Uh, Acts 20, verse... Acts 21, verse 1 to 6. And, it, and when it came about that they had parted from them and had set sail, we ran straight course to Kos and the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patera. And having found a ship, crossed over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, and from there a ship, and there the ship was to unload its cargo. And after looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. And when it came about that our days there were ended, we departed and started on a journey. Well, they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city, and after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another, and we went on the road, on board the ship, and they returned home. Um, they're telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. But uh, something before that, the uh, uh, he lands here at Tyre, right there, and then he's going to travel down here to Jerusalem. So this is the, the point of entry. It'd be like if this was Los Angeles, that's San Francisco, kind of thing. Uh, he's on his way back, but notice the language in chapter twenty-one, verse one, and when it came about that we had parted from them and had said, say, oh, we ran straight. Who's we? Luke. Luke's the author. See, originally, the Gospel of Luke and Acts was one long scroll. So Luke is the author. So here, you know, rather than saying, I, Luke, I was there. And, you know, he puts himself out of it, but there's points there where he's part of the dialogue. He uses the pronoun we. We did this. So he's the first-hand account of all of this. He was there. He saw it. And now he's, he's writing about it. Uh, you know, the disciples to Paul don't go. But Paul to the disciples... I'm going. They're telling him, don't go. But he says, I'm going. So who's right? Because it says in the Holy Spirit, they're telling him, don't go. This awaits you. But he says, I'm going. So is he, is, is he, is, is, is he not following the Holy Spirit? Or is he following the Holy Spirit? Because when you read this, it says they're in the Holy Spirit. The same ones that were in Ephesus were telling them they were in the Holy Spirit, saying, don't go. But he's going to go anyway. So is he right to go, or is he wrong to go? Is he right to go? 
you know, it's, it's that in, in, internal thing. And when it says in the Holy Spirit, it's talking about it's believers. Believers are saying to him, you know, we know this. And they're, and they're speaking out of love one to another. You know, we speak to one another in a sense out of the Holy Spirit. That love, we convey that to one another. And he's saying, this is what's going to happen to you. They're not saying, God told us to tell you don't go. They're saying as believers in Jesus Christ, we feel this, we know this, we sense this, we understand this. Why don't you try another way? And he's like, no. Again, you know, Jesus in the garden. If you can do this some other way, there was no other way to do it. He had to do it. So this is Paul saying, no, I, I have to go. So realize that Paul knows he's going to be facing hardship and he, he doesn't know if technically when he gets to Jerusalem he could have been killed in, in Jerusalem. We know he goes back to Rome. We're going to, we're going to get to that. But he doesn't know that he, he's, he's, he's going to make it out of Jerusalem. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. Because he's getting all these warnings. Don't go, don't go, don't go. Uh, but he's knowing he's going to have to suffer. Um but also, he's got to take the offering back. But at the same time, Paul also knows that God was with him when he was in jail before. And helped him. And got him, and got him out. So, you know, he's holding on to that. It's not that he's expecting he's not going to have to suffer or it's going to be pain-free or he's going to get out of jail free card. He knows it's going to be difficult. But he also knows either way... God is with him. Either way, God is with him. So this is, you know, again, this is Paul's character, his, his nature, this is who he is. Uh, uh, um, you know, Chase a Rabbit, you know, when he was persecuting the church, you know, he was the same way. He was a pit bull. He thought he was right to go after the church, you know, and, and he was in agreement with Stephen being stoned and all that, Acts chapter 5, and and all that stuff, and then, you know, he gets, in Acts chapter 9, he gets stopped on the road to Damascus by Jesus Christ, uh, you know, and he has, he has that conversion, but his nature, that pit bull, that, I'm gonna, that, that zealous thing for God didn't change. What changed was his heart, and now he realized he was wrong, he repented, and so now he brought that same personality into Christianity. So a lot of times when we are when people are, are going through this conversion process or, or people think, well, I'm not going to be me anymore or that Christianity is going to change me. And yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. God will use you who you are. But the difference is now you're not working for the enemy. You're working for God. You know, but the, the, the way you do it is still going to be the same. Your nature most likely will not change. You might be a little bolder. Uh, <clears throat> with things, but he's going to use your nature and your circumstance and your who you are. So, verse 7 and 8 brings up a question here. Uh, and when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at uh, Ptolemais, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. And on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. So, right there. 
have us right there, right here down the road, probably not even a day's walk uh, down in there. That's where they're at. When he says they stay with uh, Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Who are the seven? This is the one of the seven. Who are the seven? Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 5, you don't have to turn to it, but right there when they were talking about that they had uh, set aside men full of the Holy Spirit to help uh, with the widows and the orphans right before they uh, did the passage about uh, bringing in deacons and Stephen, those were the seven. He was one of those. So when it says one of the seven, he was one of those. Acts what? Uh, chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. Right there when they were having the discussion, you know, they were teaching, but yet there were people that had need. And so, you know, they got together and they said, yes, it's a good saying that, that, that we need to we need to raise up men to help the widows and the orphans and the poor and do things. And so then they called out these people and Philip was one of the seven who were doing that. And so uh, now now he's, he's, he's being remembered as that. So he's still around, Philip. One of the seven. So if you're reading this and you look at one of the seven, you're sketching it was the seven. And there it is. He was right there. He's basically, he's one of the first deacons of the church. Okay, But they call him an evangelist. So, he starts as a deacon, as a servant. Diakonos means servant. Uh, and he becomes an evangelist. So he's out there preaching. and, and uh, So again, the idea of, you know, uh, a deacon, you know, a deacon is, is, is someone that serves the church, but that doesn't mean that's all you can do. That's just maybe something that you do for a season or two, or maybe longer or whatever, but that is part of the pathway to doing other things in the uh, in the church. Okay? So, verse 9 to 16. It says, Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses, and as we were staying there for some days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns the belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? Notice a question mark after that. For I am not ready not only to be bound for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and started on our way to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to 
and uh, Manson of Cyprus, a taking us to Manson a, of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. So again, you get this warning, and now it's more of a, visu- a visual thing. This is what's going to happen to you. And so my, my, my question there is, what would you do? What would most of us do? You know, it's like, uh, uh, I don't know about you, I'll just speak for me. It's like, you better be real sure you're called to go back to Jerusalem. You better be real, real tight with that in your own mind frame because everybody's telling him this is what's going to happen. So obviously they know of the, the, of the climate down there politically because it's getting very bad. Rome is, Rome is, is now starting to persecute uh, the Jews as well as the Christians more down there. And then the Jews are taking it out on the Christians because they can't take it out on the Romans because they're outnumbered. They couldn't do it. You know, and uh, right here we are in the year 57. We're 13 years away from uh, uh, the Jews being kicked out of uh, uh, Rome and the temple being burned and ransacked. So they're 13 years away from from, uh, uh, Jerusalem being, being destroyed and the Jews being dispersed as well as the Christians, which eventually opens up the way for the Islamics to come come down in there. That'll be a couple hundred years later, but it opens up the way for it. So, you know, what would you do? It's kind of like, you know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm called to do this, but when the going gets rough, <laughs> you know, as well, you know, I don't know. So it's like, you know, you have to make a, a, a commitment and know, okay, this is what God wants wants me to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. And you go with it. You don't waver because God is with you. And so if you know God is with you, you know, it's, it's, it's it could be rough, but this is what you're called to do. So you do it, you know. Uh, sacrifice. You know, sacrifice, martyrdom, is has always been a part of Christianity. It is to this day that we sacrifice and, and, and go through things. So, thoughts on that question? Well, this this was a pretty violent time period, also. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, and it's just amazing. And he's walking from city to city and all <laughs> with a with a money belt. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know how much is in that belt, but he took it with him on that missionary journey. You know, uh, to from here to all these different places. So he's probably, he's got a chunk of change. Yeah. He's got a chunk of change. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously people are with him, but they're not warriors. They're not running around with breastplates and helmets. and They're just guys walking on the road, you know, and Christians who are who could be persecuted by Rome, could be persecuted by Jews, who could be robbed by anyone. You know, and, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's perilous. And it's... it's uh, uh, yeah, it's it's politically. Thanks for bringing that up. Politically, it's it's very contentious. I mean, it's kind of like I don't know if we can present day stuff all this all the tension that we have going on in our country. But it's like think about the Jews. The Jews are being squeezed. 
They're being squeezed by Christianity. They're being squeezed by Rome. They're being squeezed by their own doctrine. They're being squeezed by the Greeks. So they're lashing back out at whoever they can. Uh, Rome is trying to keep everybody under, under, under control here, and they're doing it by force. Uh, you know, at, at this time period, you've got Nero. Uh, Nero is like the worst human being that's ever lived, you know. You know, you're, this is when Christians are being martyred and sent to the Colosseum for sport and stuff. That continues for another hundred years or so. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, think about it. Knowing that you are a Christian, um, and you're out there knowing that Rome at any point in any time could just pick you up put you on a cart and shoot you off to Rome. I mean, think about that. That's in the back of your your, your mind. I know you guys probably saw it, but I know she, she hasn't seen it, and everybody else knows it. I'm really going to date myself here. There was a movie years ago called Androcles and the Lion. And the guy who started it, Google it, Androcles and the Lion. Don't ask me how to spell it, Androcles. But the guy who starred in the movie was the same guy. That, what was the What was the TV show with the talking horse? Uh, his name Mr. is Mr. Ed. Huh? Mr. Ed. Mr. Ed. Okay, the star of Mr. Ed was the guy who starred in this movie. I can't think of his name right. Who is an actual real Christian? Well, his name is called Androcles and the Lion. The movie starts off with he's just this Christian guy. He's out there and, you know, he doesn't have anything against anybody. He's just a nice guy. He's just whatever. He's a, he's a, he's a nice guy and whatever. And he comes across a lion who he thinks is going to kill him. And this lion is just all, of, you know, c- comes at him. And all of a sudden he realizes the lion has a thorn in his paw. So he takes the thorn out. So naturally him and the lion... They're, they're buddies. And now people think the guy's a little weird because he's walking around with a lion, right? And so then these things would happen. He gets separated, and, you know, the lion goes off, and he's living his life as a Christian, whatever. And then he gets picked up to go to Rome to, 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 be, to be thrown to the lions. And so the, here's the whole story of this guy who's just a kind of a, a nice guy. But he's a Christian, and he gets picked up, and they go through the whole thing. He's in the dungeon, and he's trying to figure all, the, all this stuff out, and he's scared, and he's he's going to go. I think the movie was made in the early 50s. And, Alan? Uh, uh, he, Alan Young. Alan Young, thank you, yes, Alan Young. Yeah, just just Google Alan, Alan Young in movies, and then you'll get the spelling for Andrew Cleese and the Lion, and then you can... It's probably on YouTube. And so... Uh, yeah. And so, do you want you want me to tell you the ending of the movie? Yeah. Yep. So what happens is he's he's there, and he's he's gonna be thrown to the lions, and he's there, and he goes out, and they um, he sees all this fighting, and 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 they're trying to give him weapons to go fight, and he's like, he's a pacifist. He's not. I'm not, I'm not gonna fight. I can't. I'm. I don't want to kill anyone. I don't whatever. And so they throw him out there, and here's this guy. And here comes the lions after him. But who do you think the lion is that's going to come? Um, the one he... Yeah. 
Good story. Androcles and the Lion. Uh, Acts 21, verse 17. And when we had come to Jerusalem, now they're in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And now the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. James is the half-brother of Jesus. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So he's going to Jerusalem, and he's going to deliver the money belt. And after we had greeted them, he began to relate, one by one, the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews and those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor walk in according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. So again, this is part of the reason why they're telling them, don't come because these Jews, they don't like you. Because he's causing all kinds of problems. Jews are being, being converted left and right. And the reason the Jews are being converted left and right is because they have the Bible and he preaches from the scriptures. And he shows them. So, you know, the, you know here's the proof. So again, how do we share the gospel? From the scriptures. We use the scriptures. Verse 22. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses in order that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from that is strangled from, from and to keep from fornication. Verse 26, Then Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of all the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. Now what they're telling him is, go back, and when you go back, we have these four guys who are getting ready to take a vow, a Nazarite vow. Remember, Paul took a Nazarite vow earlier. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. That's where, he, remember, he went and he got his hair cut. And that's, you, you're going to let your hair grow. It's a Nazarite vow. And uh, it was it was Jewish customs. And so what he's saying, if you do this, and you would have to go to the temple, and part of the custom was they had to pay for the sacrifices to be done and, and things to be done in the uh, in the temple. He says, pay their expenses 
and go and and, and maybe this this is going to make the Jews warm up to you, you know. So he has no problem doing the Nazarite vow and doing this, and he's in the temple, right? And this is where we're going to pick up the story next week. <laughs> next week, he gets arrested. So right now, his freedom, he's in the last days, last moments of his freedom. That's where we're at. Next week, we're going to read he is uh, uh, um, um, going to be arrested. Actually, read, read verse 27. It says, And when the seven days, they had seven days of purification that they had to go through. When seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the multitude and laid hands on him. So what they're going to do is the same thing that they did with Jesus. They're going to take him to the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling council, because uh, they have to get the, the ruling council of the Jews to condemn him. So what we're going to be hearing about is Paul's argument there to them uh, on, on who he is and what he's done. And then from there, then they're going to turn him over to the governor of the region. And then you can hear Paul's story of what happened and uh, kind of like little tidbits of, of his journey and stuff. And uh, then this person is going to say, I can't make a judgment on this. Rome is going to have to make a judgment on it. So then they send him to Rome. And that's where he is uh, when we finish all of this, where he's going to be in house arrest over here. So, you know, right here, the year 57, he's going to be arrested, but he's going to stay over, over here. He doesn't really go to Rome for another almost two years. So he's going to be under house arrest and stuff uh, for about two years over here. And then he's going to take a journey to Rome, which is going to take, you know, a little bit of time. And then he's in Rome for about six years, six, seven years under house arrest. Uh, uh, but that's when he writes Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, First Timothy, Titus, and Second Timothy. So while he's under house arrest there, he's doing that. So that's where we're at right here, 57. And we've got 10 years of, uh, of history left to go early church history, but it's basically now Paul's uh, struggles. He's going to have to go through the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, then he's going to have to go through the governor, and then the governor is going to send him off to uh, to Rome. Because, you know, the, the governor is kind of like with, with, with Jesus, you know. It's like, I, what do you want me to do with this guy? It doesn't seem, to me, it doesn't sound like he's, he's doing anything wrong. But the Jews were so adamant about it that they sent him off to uh, Rome. So you'll be hearing, we get a little more, a little more detail in Paul's life because now you're going to be hearing how Paul is now defending himself against the Sanhedrin. So you hear more of his story than against the uh, the um, the governor in the in the area. You hear more of his story, and then you hear more of his story on the way to uh, to Rome, and that's where we finish Acts. Thoughts, questions? So Paul's in his last days of freedom. Next week he's going to be under arrest. And uh, But again, it's 10 years before he's eventually martyred. But he's still doing 
God's work. He writes, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, epistles during that time. And uh, seven very important epistles because these are about church structure and stuff. Uh, These are about church structure and these are pastoral written about uh, how pastors and elders and deacons are supposed to conduct themselves. So, thoughts, questions? We good? Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again for this time. Father, we thank you that uh, you provoke us to thought on all of this. Lord, that uh, what does this mean to us? What does it mean to us individually? And how does this shape the church? How did it shape the church then? How does it shape the church now? What is it that we are to understand from this that helps us in our struggles today, Lord, as we face persecution of a different kind, but we still face persecution, Lord, in this country, Lord, but also around the world where even people are dying because of their faith uh, in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us to uh, uh, continue to walk the way as those walked in the early days, Lord, knowing that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Lord, and that we would follow you in, in all that we do, Lord. So, Father, we just thank you. We just ask for your blessing and guidance this week, and we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you Sunday, and uh, be safe.